coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on June 18th, 2023, being an image bearer. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. By a, a little bit of background to run up to this passage, Colossians has just a few chapters. The first half of the book deals with the theological truths that are bedrock to Paul's presentation to the church at Colossae. As we said, he had never visited that church, although people from the church may have seen him because... He was in nearby cities and they may have heard him speak before or traveled and, and seen him uh, in his ministries. But he hadn't actually come to the church at Colossae. And as he speaks, he's speaking to them because they were being bombarded by false teachers who said that Jesus wasn't enough. And so in the first two chapters, as we saw, Apostle Paul spends uh, all his time talking about not only is Christ sufficient, he is more than they imagine. That he is God's presence among them and God's uh, perfect image. We saw that back in the first chapter, Colossians 1.15. When we get to chapter 3, then Paul turns a corner and he says, if it's true that you are in Christ, and it is, as a believer, we are in Christ. If we have been raised to newness of life, just like Paul indicated in the passage that Tom read this morning, that we become a new creation in Christ. If those things are true, then what will it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, it's one thing to talk about theological truths and doctrines and everything, but what does it look like tomorrow? What does it look like on Tuesday? How then do we live out this life in Christ? Where I prepared to go last week and the Lord shut me down completely, is not where I'm going to take you this morning. That's why I say the passage is the same, but the emphasis is going to be on a different syllable. Okay? So I'd like to have you stick a bookmark or your bulletin in Colossians, but I want to take you back to the book of Genesis, the first chapter. And hopefully I'll tie all this together. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation account. And we have Jesus, uh, we have God involved in the day-to-day -day development of creation as he spends each day uh, developing a different aspect of the creation and when we get to the, the last day, 
He says, let us make man in our image, verse 26 of chapter 1, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. And we come to our first element of understanding how we live out this life, that men and women were originally designed to be image bearers. We were designed to bear the image of God here on earth. Unlike any other of the creation, any of the other creatures, any of the plants, the flora, the fauna, nothing was going to be like man was to be. We, God had designed that we would bear his image, and so he created us in that way. Some have said, well, what does it mean to have the image of God? Well, a lot of things have been talked about, whether it's we have the ability to think and use logic and those kind of things. But we see that there are, you know, someone said, well, what about speech? Well, we have animals that can replicate speech. We have uh, different creatures that are able to learn. We have them able to make decisions based on, on what they have learned, all those kind of things. But there's not a one that has the stamp of God on them, that we bear the image of God. It is so strong a statement that even after the fall, and even though Adam and Eve had, had marred this image because of sin, we see that the, the image is still was designed there by God. And in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, we see a statement about taking a person's life. And he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. In other words, he says, you might think that it would be kind and just and all not to take somebody's life who commits a murder. But he says, you must take his life because that person's life that he took bears the image of God. Does that mean we're gods? No. But we are God's representatives here on earth. That's how God designed us. We take that a step further and we see that Jesus, while he was here in the flesh, modeled for us the image of God. You know, you say, what does the image of God look like? You say, well, that's easy. You look at Jesus. What is Jesus like? Earlier on in the book of Colossians, we saw a, a verse and, and talked about it. 
in verse 15 of chapter 1, after Paul gives this great prayer in the opening verses of Colossians, he points to the preeminence, the first place of Christ in our theological section, and he said, he is the image of the invisible God, <clears throat> the firstborn of all creation. And we talked about that idea that Jesus Christ then bore that image and showed it to mankind. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what God's character is like? You want to know those things? Look at the, the person of Jesus Christ. At this point, we're going to do a deep study through all four of the Gospels this morning. No, we're not. But we see that if we think about for a moment, what was Christ like? What was Christ like when he was here uh, on earth? And we see some characteristics that come out. One of them is that he said, I am only going to say those things that the Father wants me to say. And he says, I'm only going to do the things that the Father wants me to do. He says, so if you want to know what the Father is like, all you have to do is see how I live out this life here on earth. And we see him then. We see him take his disciples and, and they follow him around for three and a half years or so. And they see him from when he's dead tired and goes to bed at night to when he gets up in the morning and he shares breakfast with them. They, they are with him 24-7. And they watch and they observe. And there was no place that he could go except sometimes he would get away from them to go spend time with his heavenly father. But then he would be back with them. And they watched him. And not only did the disciples watch him, the world of his, his world watched him. There was plenty of people who followed Jesus and they would listen to him and they would go, wow, this guy speaks with authority, not like the scribe. He talks like if, if he really knows what he's talking about. He says those things in ways that we haven't really heard because the spiritual leaders of the day were all encumbered with not only the teachings of the word, but all of the nuances and the, and the uh, <clears throat> interpretations of all the Old Testament and how they ought to live. And Jesus comes along and he cuts through a lot of this stuff. And he says, you want to summarize all of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as a self. And you will fulfill the law. So then when his disciples did things like harvest a little grain on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders went, oh no, they're working. And Jesus says, wait a minute, the Sabbath was for mankind not mankind for the Sabbath. And when he would heal on the Sabbath, and they would go, oh no, you're, you're doing that on the Sabbath day of the rest. You can't do that. He says, if you, if you had a donkey that fell in a ditch, would you leave him? 
He says, no, on that day you'd get him out. And he says, how much more? These individuals. And he raised them up and healed them. So Jesus, when he was in the flesh, modeled for us the image of God. Was it like, well, first of all, he's going to be obedient. He's going to, he's going to model what the Father is like. The unseen God was visible in the seen Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says it, in their case, speaking to unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And he's talking about the Satan. Satan has blinded them to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus Christ was an image bearer to this planet and to this world. There's an interesting section of scripture here. And if you want to turn there, you can, but it's not necessary. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. And the Pharisees were trying to, to trick Jesus, trying to catch him in his words, have him say something that they could use against him. And of course... There was the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they gathered together, which shows you something interesting. The enemies of God might be disagreeing among each other, but together they'll come together to fight Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 22, they come up with a plot. And they say it in a very sanctimonious way. We're going to talk about bodily matters here. But we know what their heart was, was to take down Christ. He says, teacher, teacher, oh rabbi. He says, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. If they believed that, they would put a period there and fall down and worship, but because he already declared who he was. And he says, you do not care about any person's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, which is true and good. I mean, he, he didn't take into account those kind of things that would speak in opposition to living out this image being bearing before mankind. And so they, he said, is it lawful, here he gets down to the core of it, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they sort of, gotcha. What are you going to say about Rome? What are you going to say about paying taxes? Well, they had several things going on there. First of all, Rome wasn't well-liked. Rome was the oppressor, and the Rome taxed. And the people hated the taxing because they would hire people like Zacchaeus and, and Matthew, and they would collect the tax, and then they would collect more tax for, for themselves. And so when the Pharisees and the Rhodians got together to ask this question, they go, 
There's no way Jesus is going to escape this question. Because we say, should you pay taxes to Rome? <laughs> and they wanted to say something that would get him into trouble. <clears throat> Scripture tells us in verse 18 of chapter 22, he was aware of their malice. And he says, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? And he called them hypocrites because they didn't believe anything that they said. They didn't believe that Jesus was true and taught the way of God in truth. They didn't believe that Jesus was, couldn't be swayed by others. They didn't believe any of that. And they certainly didn't have any love for Rome and paying taxes. They just wanted to hang Jesus out to dry. And so Jesus said, show me a coin for the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And the word likeness there is the same word that's found uh, in our text here when it said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He, what is the image on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If we are to be image bearers, let's be about it. If you're going to pay taxes because Caesar has his image on the coin, then pay taxes with the coin of the realm and pay those things off. But he says, what about the things of God? Are you going to be an image bearer for, the, for God? Are you going to render to God those things that he asks of you? That's the question. A little bit later on when Jesus is in the upper room, we looked at this when we were studying those passages concerning the upper room. Philip asked in John 14, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. That's it. Just, just show us the Father. What does the Father look like? And Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip? And you could almost Philip say under his breath, well, yeah, we know who you are. Why don't you show us the Father? And he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Why? He says, I am an image bearer. You see me, you see the Father. And it raises the question, if he talks about we were created in his image to bear his image, and Jesus did a, a good job of that when he was here on earth, what about us? Are we bearing the image of God? And that, to that point, we start turning our attention back to our passage this morning. We come to our next point. Believers are to participate in the image-bearing renewal and work of God. 
image bearer renewal work of God. In other words, we have a role to play. And that is the thing that Paul is preaching to the church in Colossae about. He says, now that you are in Christ and you recognize that, because we've talked about it, we recognize uh, what God had done through the Lord, he's also trying to do through you. In Colossians chapter 1, or 3, that the passage that we're looking at this morning, he says this. In verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices, and you have put on the new self, which we have seen before in the passages before. He says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. So Apostle Paul talks about then that believers are to be participating in this renewal work by God, reestablishing the fact that we are image bearers. That was messed up in the fall. When we come to Christ, we are made new, and we then begin to reflect this relationship with God, and we are again image bearers, but that's a renewal process that needs to happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, it says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies in their hearts. But one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, in other words, this is what we do now as believers, we get a good look at God. It says, our being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, he says, there was a transforming moment in our lives when we moved from our old life and we became a new creation. When we formerly lived, marred, and, and scored by sin. And he says, now we have this renewed image, but it's in the process of renewal. And he uses the word transformed. And that should ring some bells because in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world or stop being conformed, literally, being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you want to know how to live? Let God have his renewal work be done in you. And the word that he used in 2 Corinthians and here in Romans chapter 12 is the word transformed and we know it better in the English by the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Let us be transformed. It's the picture of a caterpillar going through the process of becoming a butterfly. 
It says, once you were, what? What were we before? We were like sinners. We were sinners, yes, but in our analogy, we were like caterpillars. And he says, now we are butterflies. We've gone through the transforming work of God in our life. We've become something completely different than what we were. Romans 8, Paul takes up this theme of image again, and he says, For whom he did foreknow, speaking of believers, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians 15, he says, As man was dust, so also those who are of dust, and is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. All that was my introduction. Now let's look at the passage. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and following. Let me read this, and we'll try and wrap it up in short order. In verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. In other words, this was your lifestyle. You did this too. He says, but now you must put them all away, anger and wrath and malice, slander and obscene talk with your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing as that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, and pay attention here, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We said that believers are to participate in the image bearer renewal work of God. And now we see the process. And so our next point is the process of renewal, renewing our image bearer status requires a couple things. The first one is the eradication of judgment worthy characteristics. I draw that from verse 9 and 10. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earth, earthly in you. In verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So they're worthy of the wrath of God. And Paul uses a powerful word. He says, I, I, I wrote it this way, the eradication of judgment-worthy characteristics. 
But I want to back up for a moment because we've been talking about being an image bearer. I don't know, have you ever seen pictures, maybe not in person, but have you ever seen pictures of Michelangelo's David, that sculpture that he carved? Carved it out of marble, 17 feet tall. So David was a big guy. No, <laughs> he carved him that big. Okay? And if you were to get up close and look at, at details, you would just be astounded. But the thing that's most astounding to me is that he looked at this marble that others had rejected and said, I don't know, I don't know what we could do with this marble. And he looked at it and he goes, David. And he started carving out of this marble, David. Now, I admire artists of all kinds. You know, painters, what, it doesn't matter. Calligraphy, I love calligraphy. Doesn't matter. I am dumbfounded by sculptors. You chip a little too deep. We're gonna we're gonna make him sitting now. I just lopped off an arm. Anyway, you whack away too much, and you ruin it. But when an artist like Michelangelo does it, he chips away all the things, as someone said, that weren't David, and David was revealed. I wish it was that easy, but it's not. But Apostle Paul is using the same kind of picture here. He says, I want you to, and the word that he used in, in my translation is put to death. It is the word that leads to the English idea of necros or death. He says, I want you to put to death these things in your life. In other words, they don't fit the image of God. These are the things that need to be carved out and discarded. These are the things that need to be eradicated and taken out of the way. Now, when I prepared the message for last week, I was going to go through these in greater detail. And I'm not this morning. Because I want to keep the focus on being an image bearer. When we are image bearers, person ought to look at us and we ought to be able to say anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. And you go, well, Pastor, I can tell you I don't see God. <laughs> but that's the point, that we are image bearers of the living God. And the question is, when we look at this list, when he talks about uh, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, all these things are is idolatry. He says, those need to be removed because they don't, they don't fit the image of God. 
And we could spend a lot of time delving into the details of that. You are first, certainly welcome to do so. But Apostle Paul says these things need to be dealt with. Kill them off. Kill them off. Don't let them be named among you. This should be gone. Then he goes down and he continues. He says, on, the on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In other words, he says, those that are outside the family and not part of, of being children of God, he says, God's judgment is coming on these things, so they ought not to be named among you. But then he goes on and he says, um, in verse 8, But now you must put them all away, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. And don't lie to one another either. Put it off. Put off the old self with its, its uh, practices. And so we see the second element, the process of renewing, renewing our image bearer status requires one, the eradication of the judgment worthy characteristics and the discarding of ill-fitting characteristics. This doesn't fit right. And that's what he's talking about here. He says that we are to put off and the picture is here is almost like um, a piece of clothing that you've wrapped yourself in and now you take it off because it no longer fits you anymore. And Apostle Paul says, these things are not fitting either in an image bearer's life. In an image bearer's life, there ought not to be anger which leads to destruction and, and rage and malice and slander, filthy talk and lying. These, these things need to be just put off. I'd like you to take off a coat, lay it down, and don't pick it up again. These things ought to be just discarded. And again, why... Why all this? Well, like I say, our, my tendency was to go to this list and break them down. <clears throat> but I think the greater point that Paul is trying to make is says the question isn't whether you're going to put these things off or whether you're going to kill these things or not. The question is, if you understand who you are in Christ, and you understand that you are an image bearer, what will that look like? Apostle Paul says, these things got to go. These things, these got to put to death over here and discarded over here. If these things, get rid of these things. Why? They don't match up. They don't match up with the character and the nature of God. If we're standing next to Jesus, and he was to spend 24 hours with us. I mean, his disciples spent 24 hours with him, but what if he was to spend 24 hours with, with us? What would he say about whether we were doing a good job of being an image bearer or not? 
when people come in contact with us, do they get the sense that we have been with Jesus? Do they get the sense that we are God's children? Are we bearing his image well? I'm not saying perfect, because we've already said this is a process of renewal. We are in the process of, of reestablishing and, and repairing and renewing that image which was marred by sin. So the process of renewing our image bearer status requires eradication of judgment-worthy characteristics, the discarding of ill-fitting characteristics. They just don't fit me anymore. And then the last one, and this was a big one, the realization that there is no difference between us. All believers are image bearers. Listen to the passage. He says, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And two, two points I'd like just to bring out on that and it will be done. First of all, he says, we can't exclude anybody from this. If you know Christ, you are an image bearer. So you need to be involved in this renewal process. And second of all, there's no second class believers. We're all the same. So no master could look at a slave and go, boy, you don't bear the image of, of God. He said, Paul says, oh yes, he does. That slave bears the same kind of image of God as you. In fact, he may do a better job because he's living his life for the Lord in serving you and you're doing a pretty rotten job of being his master. And so the idea of this applies to just a select few. The answer is no. It's, it's across the board. If you're a believer, there should be no difference in the image that is born because we all are going back to the same standard and that's the living God. So whether you're bond or free, whether you're barbarian, Scythian, by the way, that was, that was not a good thing to be. <laughs> you would call it a, a Scythian uh, if you really didn't like them much. So I'll be polite there and stop there. But he says, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, there is not a first-class image bearer and a second-class image bearer and a third-class image. He says, we're all together. Every person who comes to Christ and has been made a new creation in Christ bears the image of the living God. And whatever they say, and whatever they do, and however they live, Apostle Paul then reaches out to the church at Colossae by way of this letter, and he says, here you wanted to discard the high standard of who Jesus Christ is. I raised him up, and he says, and now 
bear his image to everybody. Bear his image to everyone. Let's go, Lord. Heavenly Father, we can get sidetracked easily in how we live. We can get it caught up in the issues of life, the situations that we find ourselves, and we forget that you've called us to be image bearers, that we represent you to others, and you have called us to this high position. Heavenly Father, may we be involved in this renewal process and may we well bear your image in front of others. We ask in Jesus' name.